Hey everyone, welcome back to Reality 2.0. I am Catherine Druckmann. Doc Searles and I are talking to Josh Hester. He was working on some very interesting projects, and I'm just going to tease it and not tell you what they are because stick around. <laughs> but in the meantime, um, I wanted to remind everyone to go to our website at reality2cast.com. That's the number two, where you can sign up for a newsletter that we occasionally send out. And when we do, it's awesome. Um, and I also wanted to thank you to everybody who contributes one way or another, uh, be it email or be it Patreon, all of those things. We appreciate that very much. Uh, so I will hand it over to Doc. So, so Doc, yeah. you brought Josh in because <laughs> I brought Josh in because he's working on some cool stuff that aligns with some of the stuff that you're working on. And why, maybe you could give us a, a little bit of an idea about what that is. Uh, I'll, it's personal AI. Um, all the AI that we hear about and uh, talk about is what giant companies are doing. And that's not in our control. And, um, and you have to kind of put up with what it, what it, what it has. And what Josh is working on is, is stuff that's for you and me and for our lives. And how do we, you know, we could use a little AI of our own, um, you know, so that's basically it. And uh, um, so we, we dug what he was doing and I suggested he come on the show and here we are. So Josh, tell us a little bit about yourself and then a lot about your project. So we're... Sure. Uh, so yeah, so I I kind of fell into what's going on in, in AI um, before even realizing that it was AI. And uh, and I think that's one of the more interesting angles for me is that I, I was pursuing a problem, pursuing something and a solution to that problem. And along the way found out that that a part of the solution was AI and just sort of fell into it from there. Um, and it's very much still in what I would consider stealth mode. Uh, we we're working on an MVP, which is going to be months and months and months out from anything that we can debut. Um, and that's partly due to the technology, but also I am a, a small business owner. I've been uh, running a company for the past six, seven years. And so trying to get that um, into a healthy place as well. So, so anyways, I'll start with the problem and, and kind of how I fell into it, and then we can, we can go from there. And so it was about, it was last, last year, back in August, I, uh, I, I'm married with three kids, and typically my, my wife does all the meal planning. Um, and I, I'll help out in ways such as picking up the groceries, helping to prep the meals, that sort of thing. But as far as planning out what we're going to be eating for the next week or next two weeks, uh, coming up with the grocery list, all that goes into that, she typically handles that. And uh, there was a weekend where our children had a lot of activities lined up and she had asked me, uh, she said, Josh, could you do the meal, meal planning for next week? And I said, sure. How hard can it be? And so I sat down and about two hours later, I, I thought to myself, you do this every single week? And, uh, and the answer was yes. Um, pretty much every single week you're, you're looking at the schedule, <clears throat> you're, you're packing it in with what meals we're going to uh, be eating. You're basing that off of uh, what recipes we have on hand, what groceries we have on hand, uh, what, what um, ingredients we have a lot of, and do we need to get just a few or a lot of other There's a lot of different uh, factors that go into meal planning that were, to, to me, a little bit unbeknownst. And so I sat down, and, and the way that my brain works, I, I'm kind of a – a lifelong learner, tinker, problem solver, um, much to my wife's uh, chagrin. But uh, I sat down and I was like, all right, I'm going to fix this because there, there's no way in hell we're going to be spending two hours every single week trying to figure out food. It just didn't seem like a good use of time. 
And so I sat down and I started making these relational databases and where I had our schedule and then I had the recipes uh, that we typically eat. And then I had our groceries, what's in the pantry, what's in the refrigerator. And I kind of made it work so that they would sort of roll up from groceries all the way up into the schedule. Um, where the schedule is, you know, you've got Sunday through Saturday, here's the meal we're going to eat. That meal is made up of ingredients. When you make the meal, you check it off, it depletes the ingredients from your inventory, and you can kind of track it based on that. And then as you plug in the meals that you want, it can build a grocery list for you based on what's available in your pantry or uh, refrigerator. And there was a lot of components that went into it. And after a while, I, I finally said, well, this isn't this isn't worth my time either because now I've just created another job for myself that's not actually it's it's helping me to achieve the goal, but it's not making it any easier than it was before. And and so I sat down for I don't know a couple hours um, the next week, and I, I really thought through the problem of what I was experiencing, and what I arrived at was that. The, the main issue is that our brains are, uh, they're analogous to computers, right? And, and Doc, I know we talked about this. They're not computers, but they're analogous to, to computers. You've got storage, you've got processing, uh, you've got uh, just cognitive ability to, to if-then, right? Algorithms and such. And where, where our brains are, um, they're incredibly amazing, but where they're really deficient is when it comes to storage and processing and that sort of thing. And so when you're, when you're, when you're trying to tackle something that's, very easy to understand, right? And, and that's, that's what I love about the, the meal planning metaphor is that it's highly egalitarian. Everyone has to think about what they're going to eat to some degree. Uh, so everyone kind of understands the issue. And especially if you have kids or if you're planning for more than just yourself, you really understand the issue. And, um, and so what I, what I realized was that the, the human brain, while it's incredible at a lot of things, where it's deficient is in its uh, computational ability through processing, through the storage. And so something as simple as managing food in the house is made up of all of these inputs and all these complex things that have to be put together by us. And we, we typically tackle that through uh, various different means, but usually it's, you know, we're using technology to do that. Um, so you might use some apps to track different things. You might use technology and paper technology. You're writing down grocery list, to-do list. Um, but what I realized was that the, the value of the output, which is to plan your, your meals in this case, is, only, is contingent on the value of the inputs that you're able to put into it. And I thought to myself, there's got to be a way to solve this utilizing technology. What, what if something existed in which I could interface with, with a computer and it could get to know my preferences, get to know the things that I was trying to accomplish, um, and through simple speech interface, this thing could take in very simple inputs and output something that is otherwise highly complex to track, to manage, to come up with, that sort of thing. And, uh, and as I started to think through it, I, I realized that if, if you drill into that problem, right, that there is, there's a deficiency cognitively where our brains, when it comes to handling large amounts of data and what to do with that and what to do with that in a really valuable way, this applies to everything in our lives. It, it applies to finance. It applies to productivity. It applies to... I mean, travel, nutrition, you name it. Like there, there's, there's so many ways in which our brains have to handle so many inputs um, in order to output something of value. And so anyways, uh, sticking with the, with the food example, I, I remember I ran the idea by someone that I consider a mentor of mine. And, uh, and this, this person had cut their teeth and came up in, in the tech industry and had, 
has quite a bit of clout when it comes to understanding what's going on within tech. And so I ran the idea by him, uh, very simple, uh, you know, here's what I'm thinking, here's what I'm trying to do. I want to use food management as a way to kind of prove it. And in typical mentor fashion, he poked a lot of holes in it, but he finished by uh, by recommending that I speak to a buddy of his who was an engineer for a company that he used to be a part of. And he mentioned him because the engineer was describing a very similar issue that he was having when it came to food management. Um, in, in his particular case, he's, uh, he's got five people in his family. His wife was vegetarian, daughter's a vegan. Another kid eats chicken nuggets and hot dogs. He's an omnivore. So he's, he's having to manage all these different types of groceries and recipes and things of that nature. And he's also a highly paid engineer. So he's spending hours of his time, which are hours of billable time, doing things uh, to, to plan food. And half of it doesn't get eaten, right? They've got produce that he says just is rent, taking up lease or rent space in my, in my, uh, in my fridge. And so we got talking and I was explaining the idea and some of the concepts that I had. And up until this point, I, I didn't yet realize that what I was thinking of involved AI. Um, up until this point, I had a problem and I, I figured that this problem applied to a lot of other areas of my life, but I, I knew that technology was going to serve some sort of purpose in solving this problem, but I didn't quite yet understand what that technology was. And as we began talking, he, he was saying, oh, you're talking about NLP and, and machine learning and large language models. And, and I said, sure. And so I went home and I, I looked up NLP <laughs> and machine learning. And, uh, Neuro linguistic for, programming, isn't that it? Is that right? I think what's so. that? Neuro linguistic programming, is that what that is? Uh, well, he was potentially, he was referring to natural language processing. There um, we go. Okay. Yeah. There were two NLPs. I was more familiar with the wrong one. There's a oh, lot of that's a different that's a different different topic. Get your TLA straight. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> so uh, so yeah so I went home and I, I looked up those terms and I for the next two to three weeks just dove head on into the world of AI and I started reading every book I could get my hands on when it came to AI. Um, I started following. Uh, there's a uh, in, at Stanford they've they've got a um, they've got a program called Stanford High. And so I started following what people were doing there. There's uh, Dr. Fei-Fei. Uh, I think she's the director, one of the, the co-directors. Um, it's the Stanford Institute for Human-Centered Artificial Intelligence. Started reading about what they were doing. Um, I started kind of stalking, if you will, a lot of the, the graduate students that were part of that, what technology are they working on. Uh, I, I reached out to a few, got a few phone calls, just to understand what, where is this technology uh, and how far along has it come. And within a couple of weeks of just immersing myself in it, I realized this, this is, this is huge. Like there's, there's something here that's, that's happening and it's about to explode and it's going to involve AI to some, to some large degree. And so with that, I kind of went back to, to the drawing board when it came to the concept. And uh, at this point was, was really developing the MVP around specifically proving the concept using food management as, as the use case, as a scenario. And, uh, and as, I was, as I was interviewing people, just to understand what their problems were, how they were accomplishing them um, uh, through their, their own varied solutions, just realized that there is a huge issue across the board when it comes to our ability to manage highly complex uh, systems that are just really easy to understand, right? And so again, going back to food management, I don't think anyone's sitting around for the most part thinking about managing their food and thinking, man, there's a problem to solve here. We've been doing pretty much the same thing for 
hundreds, if not thousands of years. Um, and then the same is true when, when you start going across the board of all the other parts of our life that, that we that we manage when it comes to finances, when it comes to productivity, when it comes to communications, when it comes to, I mean, you name it, there's some sort of system behind it that the, the value of the output that you get from that system is contingent on the value of the input that you put into it. Um, and what that usually means is that you're doing a lot of legwork on your own to make something happen. And I, I saw the writing on the wall pretty early on to, to see if, if, if you could interface with something that, that gets to know your preferences, gets to know how you do things, and is, is optimizing the output 10, 20, 50, 100 times better than, than you could do on your own, what would that mean for your life? Like, what, what would that mean for the parts of your life that you're actually interested in doing, right? Because food management, we have to do it because we have to eat, but it doesn't add a tremendous amount of value to my life otherwise, right? And so, again, going across the board, what would it look like to have my finances handled by something that could do it 100 times better than I could do it based on the goals that I have, based on the inputs that I give it? And, and essentially, the, the metaphor became um, to develop something that becomes like a companion or a friend. And that's where the name marrow comes from, is, is one of the, the meanings is, is companion, friend, counterpart. So, so um, the, it's marrow, M-A-R-O-W, like the... Uh, like the substance marrow. in the middle of bones also, yes. right? So like, Correct. Yeah. 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 Um, and so the way I usually describe <laughs> it is if, if you were to hire an executive assistant or, or personal assistant that, that went to every single Ivy League and, and graduated top of their class and you hired them to help run your life, what would that look like for your life, right? There, there's to some level, you're, it's going to require you to give it some inputs. But for the most part, the expectation is that this, this entity, this agent, this person mm -hmm is going to work alongside of you to, to output some of the, the best outputs that you could do. And then what does that mean for those areas of your life? But what does it mean for the other parts of your life? Um, and and part, of the, part of the thing that I touch on is the idea of the Pareto principle, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with the, the 80-20 rule, right? 20%. Pareto, yeah. P-A-R-E-T-O. Right. That's correct, yeah. yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so that's, that's a big part of what I've been working on. Again, I... I knew pretty early on once I realized kind of what was happening with AI and once I was seeing what was happening in academia and how that was influencing the commercial world as well, I, I realized that there was really something here. Um, but at the end of the day, the problem to me is what was, what was worth solving. And uh, what was interesting is I would describe it, right, especially in user interviews where I was telling people, here's what I'm working on, kind of, here's what I'm trying to tackle. And people kind of got it. They, they understood I think in theory, um, the concept, uh, but it was kind of analogous to describing the internet to somebody whose world is Morse code, right? If your paradigm just doesn't yet include how this could even be done or how it's possible, why would you do it any different? And once, uh, once GPT-3 was dropped in November of that year, uh, everyone that I talked to said, oh, oh, I, I get it now. This, this, this is going to be big. Um, and so that's and, that's and, kind and that of that year is, is that, that year is 2022. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So it's only last year. <laughs> it's exactly. fantastic. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that again, the reason I've I've stayed in it is that I think uh, I think that the problem is worth solving, and I think that that AI plays a role in it. And but one of the things that I've seen, and I think a lot of other people, you would probably agree, is that a lot of people see the the potential in a technology. 
And then they find ways to utilize it because the technology has potential or because it's cool to use. Um, and I think one of the, the huge missing components is what are you actually doing for someone's life? How are you actually making their life better? How are you designing a product that actually adds a tremendous amount of value to their life? Um, and so that's, that's the thing that, that I'm mostly focused on. And, uh, and yeah, we'll, we'll see. I, so what, I have a couple of questions ahead. here. Yeah, go, well, go for it. So, well, the one is just, so you said the problem, you know, identifying a problem, a, providing a solution to a problem rather than trying to fit a solution in, you know, trying to find a problem for this solution that you've randomly invented, right? But I, I'm wondering if you could kind of distill down the problem and define it. Because I, I understand, you, you know, I, I hear you saying a lot of things that, that AI could do to improve your life, but I'm not sure I necessarily understand the problem. So that's part one, but also part two is, is your vision to be many things to a lot of people or are you focused on solving some very specific problems? Like you say, you know, meal planning as an example, but. Sure. Um, I think it's, well, I'll start with the first, uh, the, the main problem that, that I, I think we're, and again, we're very much in the early stages. And so there, there's a lot of things that need to be figured out. Yeah, um, sure. I, I, I like to liken it to, in some ways, we are stepping into a new paradigm of how we utilize devices. Um, but part of that is you, you're, you're going into some unknowns, uh, but we do know some things about what we're going into as well. And so trying to figure out what it is that we're building as we're inventing the technology at the same time is a, is a tricky tricky place to be. But um, the, the main problem is it really boils down to how humans get things done, right? And it actually, some of this ties into uh, a lot of the concepts within the intention economy doc, which, uh, which I've been reading. Um, and really most things get done because of intent, right? Uh, and you could, you, could, you could also call this demand as well, right? There's, you wanna get something yeah. done, you wanna solve a problem. There's an intent there to solve that. Uh, and so, as, as humans, pretty much everything in our life, and this is, this is one of the things, and this, now we're getting kind of into the, the theoretical space, but one of the things that's very unique to humans, and, um, and you guys started to touch on this in one of your previous episodes, is we, we, develop, we develop societies through solving problems, right? And so a bird, for instance, is born with this, with this instinct to make a nest, and every single bird from... 10,000 years ago to 10,000 years from now, will be born with an instinct to make a nest. And that's something that's born, like they're not taught how to do that for the most part. They're just born knowing how to do that. Humans learn how to make a structure and then 10,000 years later are making cities, building cities, right? And so this, this is something that is very innate to humans is that we don't just stop with a, an instinct to do one thing. We get really good at doing a lot of other things by solving little problems. Um, and so getting, getting back to the, to the problem that we're talking about here with, with what this technology will solve is that there's a lot of things that, that we do to manage and run our lives that is, is, is not as optimized as it could be. And to have, have a counterpart, to have a, a device, a computer, if you will, that does a lot of the heavy lifting for you, that takes on a lot of the, the data processing to get certain things done. Um, that's basically what we're trying to do. And so the, 
the idea is really to build a platform. Um, and, and part of the, part of the, it kind of evolved from, Hey, could we, could we develop an app to do this? Well, we want to integrate all the different parts of your life, right? So your schedule, communications, your finance, um, I mean, pretty much anything that could give it an input, we want to integrate it. So it can't just be an application because an application is, is kind of shrink wrapped. It's siloed. Uh, so could it be the, could it be the operating system itself? Um, and so it's sort of, it's sort of evolved from producing an application that does something to, can we build a computer that you interface with that helps you accomplish things in your life? That's interesting. And, uh, I'm not going to go down the tangent I just thought of. <laughs> because oh, why not? We're because, so good at that Because here. somebody's working. <laughs> I mean, I, I know somebody who's working on an independent computer that's basically for the household. Um, that's not a PC. It's not. Um, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not a windows or a Mac or a Linux. It's a, I mean, it, it'll run on Linux of course, cause that's what everything does, but I mean, it'll, it'll be specialized. Okay. So I'll, I'll get you together. I, I, I haven't talked to them in a couple of years, but, um, there may be something to it. Um, a couple of things. One is, and this has first, I, I learned, I heard a word on the way down here is from, um, uh, Gary Marcus. It was on another podcast, the, um, the um, Doug Rushkoff's uh, podcast on um, Team Human, but he used the but apparently this is a word innateness that it's not instinct like the bird has innateness. There's animals, certain animals are born with the innate capacities to do things that we would call extraordinarily intelligent, like weaving a nest, uh, spider building webs. A, sure. a friend here in Los Angeles, which is where I am now. Uh, actually watched a spider secure its nest by picking up um, spider web strands and and attaching them like guy wires to hmm. this thing to hold it in place. I mean, an unbelievably intelligent thing to do, except it's built in. I mean, what yeah. what we what the difference with humans is we we have almost no innateness at all. We're born with the ability to suck. You know, and eventually maybe to, to walk because we're upright walkers and yeah. we go from crawling to walking. But walking and sucking are what we're born with and the rest of it we just learn. But then we call that knowledge. But the knowledge that we call knowledge is stuff that we've, we've acquired sure. uh, over time. We learn a language. We learn we learn how to do carpentry. We learn to, to do something else. Um, but animals, certain animals are born with this miraculous ability to do specialized things. Um, but anyway, innateness, it's a new one. Anyway. But that's one thing. But the, what we've done with AI is taken something where we're really deficient. Uh, and you were talking about the processing side, but memory is the big one. Sure. You know, we, we, we forget what we said seven seconds later. We don't know how we're going to end the paragraphs to begin or how we began yeah. the paragraphs or ending. But yeah. somehow we get meaning across. And so we've invented machines that, that are really good at memory and are really good at doing the processing of stuff that's remembered in storage and we call it thinking, but it's not. So sure. let me throw one at you because Joyce and I were talking on the way down here because we're working together also on a, uh, maybe on with somebody who's doing a documentary. And so we're doing a lot of thinking out loud. Um, I used to write, I'm not writing as much as I used to, and I really should, but I don't, um, I'm too busy thinking about other stuff, but, um, what we have 
with a large language model. Somebody who's remembered a lot of languages, remembered a lot of stuff. It's a giant mirror, but it's a mosaic mirror. It's got lots of little pieces in it. And what we want to remember or have processed is just what we see now. Like, okay, I want, I want a poem in the style of Shakespeare that's about <laughs> chewing on glass, you know, and, and it'll give us something about that, right? Because yeah. the mirror has rearranged itself, but it's a mirror not of us. It's a mirror of all of humanity that has bothered to publish something in the weird world that we've made over the last 25, 26, 27 years, since 1995. You know, it's, it's busy crawling, like the Internet Archive, who I'll be hanging out with next week, has been a, a bit upset because Chet, I mean, uh, um, OpenAI has been crawling them on a rather aggressive basis for everything that's gone off the web that they have, right? It's all there, and they're making sense of that. And if you've ever used the Internet Archive, you know it's already really slow, right? So it's going to make it, it makes it harder for them. So it's got all this stuff that, but it's, it's a time capsule of up till now in the 27 years that we've had the web. Okay, that's not a lot in a certain sure. weird way. Yeah. But that has gotten so many people's gut in a cramp about, oh my God, it's going to destroy humanity and so forth. And nobody except for like you, <laughs> you and Paul Trevithick, who I said you too, and a few other people are thinking, wait a minute, let them do all that. Thank you very much. We'll take your open source model, Llama or whatever it was that, that yeah. Meta came up with or Mosaic or one of those, whatever they are. Let me use it for my shit, whatever that yeah. is, you know, yeah. and, and this is, and what are our lives? One of the things we remember, well, we, you've got a great one with food. Um, to me, the big one is, you know, I, I want to be able, when I saw Apple's thing you put on your head, right? I thought, I don't want it for anything they want. Like I'm in a library here and I'd like to look at that library and have it catalog everything that's in it. This is not my house, but I'm just looking at, at this, but I have one too, you know, and, and I have books in three different houses. So I've been able, like, to be able to look at that and have it tell me wh where those are. Look at my property, see what it is and yeah. help me manage it. Yeah. What am I out of? You know, um, when is the car due for an inspection or what, there's all this random, there's a big one that there's another company working on this one uh, on subscriptions. How do we manage our subscriptions? Our subscriptions are completely out of control. And by the way, all of television is going to turn into subscriptions in the last two next two years. All yeah. of it. You know, you're going to, yeah. you're not going to have cable anymore. You're only going to have subscriptions. So ESPN is going to break away from cable and everything that was on ESPN and TNT and the rest of it is all going to be $250 a year. And or 300 or 400 or 500 a year. And that's going to change everything too. But how do, that they're doing all that crap for their convenience. What about ours? And how do we interface with that? So yeah. the question I have is like, let's say you've got your life perfectly managed with marrow. What do you go to market with on that? That gives you actually, actually some power, maybe even power in aggregate, you know, like, I know I run out of toilet paper at this rate. Who else runs out at this rate? Why can't we get the best person <laughs> toilet paper at this rate? Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Look at, I mean, logistics is like, I fly a lot commercially and here's what you see outside of every city, outside of along every interstate, outside of every airport are giant. They don't, they don't call them freight warehouses anymore. They're logistics centers. Right. But it's, it's why the thing you ordered on Amazon comes this afternoon or tomorrow morning, sure. right? 
are all of those yeah. things. Yeah. How about it going in the other way? How about demand going out the other way? How do you make that yeah. work? So what sure. do you think about that? Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> this is one of the things that came up early was the idea that, and we actually spoke about this the first time that we talked, is that necessity precedes demand or necessity precedes intent. And then that intent is what drives uh, it's, it's what drives the next step, right? It's what allows you to solve a problem um, or that if yeah. you call it demand, it's what that's what we call commerce, right? Um, you're solving a problem by purchasing something. Yeah. And so the, the interesting thing to think through is that if, if you're interfacing with a device, with a computer uh, that can recognize necessity before you do, what does that do for the local mm. economy specifically? So for instance, if you're running low on something and the thing realizes that before you do, it can tap into what's the inventory that's available locally. And you could probably get that thing to your house quicker than you could by ordering it on Amazon. Right? And so Amazon exists because it's tapping into a few things, right? We, we want better pricing, uh, which is possible outside of Amazon, but we want better pricing and we want it fast. Those are the two, two primary things. Selection is there, but I, I would be, I think a stat I saw recently is 80% of the population lives in cities in America. So chances are that if, if you're looking for it on Amazon, it does exist somewhere locally. And so if you have a device that understands uh, before you do that, you have a necessity for something, can find it in a local economy and have it delivered to you or, or you could go pick it up before you could get it on Amazon. Think about the industries that could be built around that, right? To, and this is, this is where some of the beauty comes in is what, what can be built on top of this, this infrastructure, this technology that allows your personal AI to interface with what's out there. And so a lot of uh, like Shopify and, and that sort of thing is, is what has allowed smaller businesses to compete with Amazon uh, in particular. Uh, so where, where my mind goes is what, what sort of technology will be developed as a way to allow local businesses to say, hey, here's the inventory that I have. Once necessity or once intent is created, that, that inventory can meet that intent probably quicker than Amazon could. Now, I'm not saying Amazon couldn't figure out a way to leverage that as well, but I, I think that if, if, there's, if there's technology built around providing supply to intent um, that, is, that is being identified before the human identifies it, that's a really powerful thing for, for small businesses in particular. I mean, you could apply that to larger businesses as well, um, but it's a fascinating concept to think through. So have you thought, and this is a slightly tangential, but ever so slightly, have you considered in, in, in where you're going with all of this, um, how to address that, you know, individual preferences varies tremendously. Like what I consider mundane may not be what you consider mundane. Sure. The goal I think I'm hearing is, is to, to help people to maybe live more efficiently so that you save time to do the things that you enjoy and, and rather than doing something mundane, like, you know, that you don't, that you, that you could use some help with, but, you know, everybody's so different, right? What I, mm -hmm. you know, I, the idea of automating certain things to me would be um, undesirable because I, you know, maybe I enjoy the process of making a thing or doing a, a thing that might be tedious to sure. others. And so how do you yeah. kind of focus on how, how to address those? I mean, obviously AI learns people's preferences and, and you can train, train things, you know, on, on individual preferences. But when you're talking about where to go 
with a product or a market or something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, where do you go when you don't, when everybody is so completely different? Well, yeah, I mean, I, you, you bring up a great point because people, there's, there's no way to create a cookie cutter piece of technology that will accomplish the things that we're talking about um, and do it really well, right? So phones, Android, iPhones, a lot of those are, are cookie cutter. You can put your own apps in there that's preferential to, to you. But for the most part, they deploy the same technology and then you kind of make it your own. But again, that thing does something of value because of the inputs that you put into it. So if we're talking about something that is going to be doing a lot of that heavy lifting for you from a data perspective and a memory and storage and processing perspective, um, the, the, the set of data that's going to be influenced by you needs to be tremendously large. Um, and so that's one of the things that we, we haven't yet started working on. Uh, there is someone that I am talking to um, that actually I was put in touch with them. And uh, this is one of the things that he brought up is he was, he's building the set of data for a different reason, but basically building a data set that allows a singular human to plug in all their different preferences, right? And you're going to need that when it comes to what, what Catherine's preferences are versus Doc's versus Josh's, uh, the things that I want. Again, going back to the metaphor of if we were to all, all three of us hire an incredibly intelligent executive assistant, they wouldn't do the same things for each one of us. They would do the thing that we need done based on our preference, based on our intent, based on our necessities. Um, so there's there's going to be a lot of technology that's going to need to be developed to make that happen. Uh, but that's that's going to be a big one. Doesn't really answer your question, but more so signals. I understand. No, what, I, what I, I'm not saying. even sure what my question was, to be fair. But I just, you know, I wonder again when you. I, when we're talking generally about a technology versus when you try to productize it, there are different concerns, I guess, is where I was going. Yeah. Like, how do you identify what your product is going to be when, when the product itself is just, is, is, is so broad, I guess. So, and, and I don't want to get too, too much into the weeds on, on the products and the features itself. One, because a lot of it has yet to be developed. And, and two, it's, right, sure, that there's, true. there's a degree to it that is, we're, we're trying to protect, um, but one of the things that came up early on when I spoke to someone from, uh, from Stanford was the idea that the large language models and machine learning and, and AI just as a, as a whole requires a, a ton of data to be utilized. Uh, it's not cheap. And depending on how much data you're, you're processing, it, it, some of it's not possible. Um, so one of the concepts that we're talking about is building a smaller data set uh, within the device, right? So it would, be, it would be fully protected to that entity, to that device, to that person um, that could be used across devices, right? It's not just one singular device. Kind of similar to, you know, you have your, if you use Apple products, you can carry things over from your Mac to your phone to your iPad, whatever. Um, but to have a, have a smaller data set that is working uh, off of your inputs, your preferences, and then to have a marketplace built on top of that where more fine-tuned sets of data could be developed to achieve certain things. And this is where you allow developers to say, hey, I'm going to develop this fine-tuned AI model that's going to be, let's say, it's going to help you manage your cash flow, right? To the same degree that a $10,000 a month in retainer finance person would do for you, but you you can pay for the with this, this cheaper service, right? Um, and this, that's another tangent, but I think that the ability for AI to do things that we're now hiring people for lots of money to do uh, very high value services for us, 
utilizing AI, it's, it will level the playing field when it comes to intelligence, when it comes to wealth management, wealth production. Um, I mean, I think it, like I run a business right now, I have a team of five or six people on retainer to help run FP&A, GAP accounting services, uh, understanding uh, historicals, actuals, projections. A lot of that stuff can be done utilizing AI and probably be done a lot better. Um, so I think that it's, it's going to be interesting to what it allows us to do with data that has a huge impact on our lives um, and even some data that, that doesn't have a, a ton of impact on our lives. So, so you mentioned there are some things that can't be done. What are some of those things? Well, what, what, I, what can't be done? I mean, where should we? And I'm thinking in particular about what can't be done for a person. You know, if a person's in charge, like they have the Marrow um, uh, platform, it runs on their own thing, whatever it's doing, it's two years from now, it's five years from now. What, what is it not going to do? I can imagine all the things it can do. Sure. So I'm fantasizing about it. But what <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, some degree, you can feature requests. Anything tactile, right? Like one of the jokes when it comes to the meal meal planning or meal prep. Uh, sorry, yeah, meal planning, not the meal prep. One of the running jokes is that it can do everything except cut the veggies for you. Um, so I think that there's there's going to be a lot of tactile things yeah. that, that that can't be done. I don't know. I think it's it's ability to interface with a tremendous amount of data. Because again, once you start getting into what makes up a human life, what makes you you, um, again, Paul Trevethick talks a lot about this, right? Yeah. Your who-ness versus yourself. Um, there's there's quite a bit that goes into it. And so the ability to process all that data, that's, that's why I think that you're going to need a lot of different models that are running um, not at the same time, but will interface with each other when, when that task or when that, uh, when that request is, is needed, that's when it will run for you. Um, so I think we're, we're going to run into, uh, I wouldn't call it Moore's law, but it's, it's similar in that as, <laughs> as the ability to, to run more and more and more data, um, or sorry, as the need to run more data uh, rises, our ability to do that well, and to do that you know, with speed, um, to do that with accuracy, uh, that's gonna be a big thing. I think accuracy is another big one, right? We're, we're dealing with a lot of data sets that are, they call it hallucinating. Um, and so to actually provide assistance to a human of value that can be trusted, that's gonna be, that's gonna be quite an uphill battle. Um, But yeah, I think the, the thing that I can really excited about, about is, is the idea to, if you could build a platform that can do a few things really well and can, can get to know their users really well, the thing I get excited about is opening that up for developers. So what can be built on top of that? What, what sorts of very fine-tuned applications mm. to do things that, that I couldn't think of or, or that, I don't know, the, the, the mm. developers on the team can't think of? Um, again, it's going back to that marketplace model, but that's, I get really excited about that. This is probably a good place to plug, uh, the episode of Floss Weekly that Doc and I did yesterday. I, know, I think so. Talking it's about a, iterative, iterative improvements in models, piece. right? Yeah. Um, I'm going to include a, a link that we, that came up there actually. Um, yeah, I, you know, the, 
we talked about how you know the sort of the large language models are and a lot of these models are just ridiculously expensive to train right and yeah and there is a an interesting and i feel like i'm, I'm not prepared to have this conversation but there there is an interesting sort of direction in that um you can iteratively improve small with using small data sets and you know using um, things that are less expensive mm-hmm. i guess to train fine tuning the models in the, in this article that i read describes fine fine tuning is stackable so in mm-hmm. other words you you know in a more open ecosystem you can benefit from the work of others and iterate and 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 do these things where you you, you know you um you can iterate faster. Like, right. I mean, you know, again, we come from an open source kind of mindset where we're used to that approach to everything, right? When you share, you iterate faster. And I think yep. that's that's yep. a similar idea here, I guess. Sure. I mean, it's going to have to be. I think that's that's how we've gotten to where we are today. I think with a lot of technology breakthroughs and, and what's been commercially successful hasn't, I mean, the probably one of the greater examples is the iPhone, right? The iPhone came about because the iPod came about, right? And the iPod came about because of a, a really interesting story. It wasn't just one day someone woke up and decided, hey, I want to make a, a smartphone with a, a piece of glass as the interface, and it's going to run applications that other developers are going to produce, right? No one came up with that. That was a very iterative, years-long process. Um, and so I, I think this is, I think it's going to be the same, whether with, with this product that we're talking about and, and others within the space. Again, it's, it is in many ways a paradigm shift. There's there's a lot of thinking that's going to have to change and that will change. And things that are going to be commonplace in five to 10 years um, are completely outside of the, the scope of people's imagination right now. And I don't think that that's a bad thing. Um, it's To me, it's really exciting. Uh, but yeah, I think ultimately, um, going back to what we were talking about earlier, ultimately people are are problem solvers. I would say, Doc, that that's something that's innate to humans, right? Is that you're not born with the knowledge to do these mm-hmm. things. But one of the one of the thought experiments I, I like to use is is the idea of let's say if you can picture being in a kitchen and all that's in this kitchen outside of your standard cabinets and countertops is is a stove top with with a pot of water that's boiling and you have a box of spaghetti and you're making spaghetti, right? Anyone that's ever made spaghetti before knows that it, when you dump that spaghetti in, what's, what do you have to do so that it doesn't stick? you got to stir it. And if you have nothing in that, in that kitchen mm-hmm. except for the, the empty box that contained the spaghetti that's now in the boiling pot, as humans, we know I, I have to stir this. Or you find out pretty quickly because it's sticking to the side and you ruin your first batch. But you find out very quickly, I have to stir this. And you can either use your hand, which you'll very quickly find out is not a good option, or you can use the box, um, which is going to quickly become a soggy mess. And so the next time that you make spaghetti, you're going to know I'm going to include a spoon or I'm going to include some sort of object that won't break down under boiling water to make this thing happen. And every single time you make it, you're going to learn and learn and learn. And I think that as, as humans, I would, I would call this creativity, right? Innate to, innate to us is this creative force that that you can call problem solving but it's what takes us from living in huts thousands of years ago to dwelling in cities and being able to develop all the things we're talking about because of this iterative problem solving uh, approach and 
that's, I think that the solution that we're talking about and what AI is going to enable us to do is to continue to do this in a totally magnified way. Um, and that's one of the points that, that I wanted to talk about is the idea of two things. The one idea is to, the idea of humanizing the thing. Um, and by humanizing, I mean, how do you remove inputs or the, the need to give inputs? Again, going back to the metaphor of an executive assistant, if you needed this person to do something for you, the, the idea would be that there'd be, a lot of it would be tacit, right? Yeah, so the, um, the, the two things, the first one was the need to humanize the thing. Uh, and the idea behind humanizing it is, is really to remove inputs. And going back to the idea, the metaphor of hiring an executive assistant is the expectation would be that this, this person, when it gets a, a task or a directive, wouldn't need you to explain to them how to get it done. It would, it would know to do it and it would know how to do it. Um, and that's, that's something that I think the, the ability for us to remove inputs from the user is going to be huge to the success. It's one of the things that actually drives me nuts about GPT and a lot of what's coming out about GPT is the, a lot of the headlines that I read are how to best prompt GPT to get the best response. And I think that that's, that's crazy, right? Like I, I want to develop uh, or see a technology developed where it's not the ability to output something of value isn't predicated on your ability to give it the perfect prompt. That's not, that's not how this metaphorical executive assistant would work, right? They would do a job based on their ability to do it on your behalf, given the inputs that they have, not given your perfect prompt. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. um, the second one, I think it comes down to, and this one's probably going to take a little bit longer for, for us to wrap our heads around, uh, but just the need for a change in how we interact with devices. Um, I think that there's a mm. need there, but then there's also... I think that there's going to be a shift in how we do it because of how AI is developed over the next several, several years. Mm. It's wow. interesting. I mean, it's, it's, uh, we sort of have several, we had the keyboard, which is really clunky actually. And then <laughs> the mouse, um, I mean, the QWERTY keyboard is kind of weirdly random, but there it is, there's different stories about how it came about, but yeah. then, but then we have voice, um, and that's cool, but I have a feeling you, you might be right. There may be some completely other way. Apple's sort of suggesting one with gesturing and all that, but then the, the um, VR and uh, AR people have been dealing with pinching and twisting and all that kind of stuff for some time now. Yeah. But the idea is that gestures of some sort will do that. People, are, people do talk with their hands. I think Italy may be ahead of us on that. Um, <laughs> I grew up in an Italian neighborhood, and there were all these, <laughs> all these hand hand things that the parents would use to express disapproval or whatever. But I, I just think there's a, um, I think you're right. I think there's there's probably some other, um, some other interface that we need. You know, well, some think, other I metaphor for how this ought to work. I think speech is going to be at the top of the list, and yeah, and how, I think it'll be a combination of of speech and, and touch as well, and, and per, perhaps gesture. Um, but when I say the need for change in how we interact with, with devices, I think a lot of that comes down to, to kind of how the, the specifically the handheld device has evolved 
to be something that yeah. it doesn't do a lot of high value work for us anymore. I did the the top three apps that are downloaded are all social media. Uh, the top 10 are social media, video application, and Amazon, right? So it's it's a source of entertainment. It's a source of, mm-hmm. I'm putting air quotes around this, but connectivity. Um, but it's our ability to get high leverage, high work, or sorry, high value work done using handheld devices is, uh, it's, it's not getting any better. Um, and I, I think once we see how this can be changed utilizing AI, I think we'll, we'll see a shift. And I think that um, the more interesting and important shifts are going to be the ones that you and other people working from the outside in rather than the inside out. But I mean, basically from the individual side, the buyer side, the demand side, um, rather than the giants in the middle that are going to try and want to do everything. And, you know, they're very useful. They're very helpful. Um, we need them, but they're not going to, but I don't, I don't think the most interesting thing are going to, things are going to come from there. I mean, it, it is interesting to me that we're still living in a PC age and PCs were made for people in the first place. Sure. We're talking to each other on them right now. Yeah. You know, this is pers- these are personal devices. You know, we have phones now. What could be more personal than those? I mean, as corporatized as they are with Apple and Google kind of running those shows, um, they are essentially personal devices. We want them to be personal. And um, going back to, and I mentioned this in the book, I think, that the, the first time supply and demand were uttered as a phrase, it was the other way around. It was demand and supply yeah. uh, by uh, Sir James Denham Stewart and the Scottish Enlightenment in the middle 1700s. Um, but he saw demand, you know, he saw supply basically obeying demand. And uh, that's, we, you know, I wrote the book about that. I mean, I, we're going to reach a point where the dialogue between demand and supply is going to become, uh, it's probably going to go through a very contentious phase because, you know, your, your intelligent agent that's working on your side um, with Marrow is going to possibly at some point go out and say, well, I'm going to the best price from all those APIs out there, <laughs> you know, that I'm going to be yeah. querying. It's not just going to be Amazon and Best Buy. It's going to be all kinds of things. And a lot of local sellers might have what you're looking for, you know, or, yeah. or be able to customize something for you because you need a custom thing, whatever the custom thing is, you know, that's, uh, um, you know, there's, the, the, you know, there, the anticipation of needs is is one thing. There's there's also you know being able to have something working for you that knows all the variables that are important to you, but still obeys your commands. Right? Knows yeah. what tools have I got? Like I know in my house, for example, I have no files. I wanted to file something, but the thing I needed to file is was in a space where it needed to be small and get under something. That was. A, about a week ago and it would have been nice to know what tools have I got and you know what can I use this for you know I could even talk to it and say I you know I kind of need a thin one it's kind of looks like this and let me describe it it could come back and see is it like this is it like this okay great I'll go out and find it sure you know that's 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 within the realm of the conceivable at this point that's uh, yeah yeah 
Well, yeah, and- someday if you can, f- so uh, you know, <laughs> going back to the, how, how this conversation started, solving the question, the eternal question, what's for dinner? Yeah. <laughs> I think I think humanity ready, will owe you a medal. Now. Yeah. <laughs> that's the goal. That's the prize there. If we can figure out the file and what Doc's going to eat for dinner, that's yeah, uh, we got to eat. Well, it's, it's it's an interesting topic to me because Joyce is a foodie, and I'm totally spoiled. And during the pandemic, she just raised her game. Yeah. Um, and uh, but she but she has a remarkable mind for knowing what's in the fridge and in all the drawers and in all the places we live and how long it's going to last. And yep. <laughs> yeah, um, it's not me and my that house. kind of thing. And, <laughs> you know, it's uh, when the fish is fresh and where to get it and all that kind of thing. Maybe she'll be my so, next user interview. Oh, she should be. Oh, <laughs> she should be. She'd be. She's uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's I mean, it, this is an interesting thing that, you know, he, we talked about human capacities earlier. What's innate with us? Um, uh, resourcefulness is that it's it's just huge. Yeah. Humans are incredibly resourceful, you know, and we're that's why we spread all over the world. I think there are two reasons. One, we're very resourceful, and we also don't get along with each other, <laughs> and so we so we get we get tribal, and then we leave because they want to get away from the ones that speak the other language, don't look like us, or whatever. But um, I mean, humans are flawed in a lot of ways, but the we're very resourceful. You know, people live on ice, you know, living on top of ice in parts of the world. That's amazing. It's, you know, it's, it's what we can do. Well, um, I think that there's a lot more to come, but uh, it's been a pleasure talking to the two. Yeah, it's been great. It's been great. Yes, thank you. I was gonna. I was gonna chime in. We all have almost an hour recorded. That is a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot in an hour. <laughs> But yeah, thank you. So I, you know, I, I'm wherever you go with it. I, you know, I'm, I'm excited that you're working on this. You know, it's, it's interesting. A lot of I'm people are working excited. on very interesting, very interesting projects right now. And I really enjoy hearing about them. And, and, and you know, I'd love to hear an update when, when you have one. Yeah. And give a listen to this uh, last um, podcast we did with Dave Siffrey. Okay. Um, he's, uh, he's been a student of this stuff and he's just very enthused and, yeah. uh, and interesting, interesting. He's an old friend, so um, uh, I had a long conversation with him and said, "Let's stop this and just put it on a show." <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that was good. Yeah. Another one of those where we After could just go all night, hours. and then you realize yeah. you have to stop at some point. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, I, I could go on and on talking about it, so uh, we'll, yeah, we'll cut it off. Great. Well, we'll happens. do it again. We'll talk some more. I want to. I want to. Yeah. I want to stay on top of what you're doing. Absolutely. It's important. Yeah. It's really important. Cool. Well, well, thank you so much. And, and, oh, also thank you for everyone who has listened to, <laughs> to the story and we will include some links and, and food for thought back to the food theme. Yeah. <laughs> some food for thought and, and on, on the, thought for food and the post. But yeah. And until next time.